I do believe that within a relatively short time frame, most of the world will have adopted real-time payment systems in one form or another, and they will come to dominate the way in which we interact. That's Victor Penner from Standard Chartered. He's Head of Cash Management for Europe and Americas and Global Head of Structured Solutions Development Cash. He's a real expert on the importance and benefits of real-time payments. Victor has over 30 years of experience in finance, process re-engineering, technology development and management consulting, and he's seen the current payment landscape change dramatically in recent years. And it's how the real-time payments are changing in the current payment landscape that's the focus of this podcast, brought to you by Treasury Today and Standard Chartered. I'm Richard Parkinson from Treasury Today, and as with every podcast we produce, our aim is to explore how corporate treasury departments can build strategies for success in an ever-changing and innovative world. And so Victor and I will be exploring how the real-time payment landscape is changing and the effect it's having on corporate payments and collections. I mean, I want to know why and how real-time payment systems are grown and what the benefits are for corporates and what the challenges are. Victor, hi, good to see you again. Thanks, Richard. I'm happy to be here. Victor, we're going to be talking about real-time payment systems today. Now, tell me, why are they growing so much? Well, I think they're really born out of concerns around competition. If you look at the first real-time payment system in the world, which was UK Faster Payments, um, that really came about because the UK Treasury decided to do a study into competition in the banking industry. And perhaps there was some feeling that, you know, consumers weren't getting the service that they really, you know, deserved in that, you know, it would take quite some time for a payment to move through the system. So they initiated an inquiry and the, the outcome of that several years later was UK faster payments. And I think since then, other regulators have started to look at the same issues, um, but probably also focusing on broader concerns around financial inclusion, getting the cost of payments down to consumers, because if you do that, then you'll encourage more people to use uh, banking services. And that was particularly the case in you know emerging markets like India, for example, or parts of Africa or other parts of Asia. And it took the float away, I guess, uh, uh, that did exist in some of these systems that really the banks enjoyed, I guess. Well, look, there was float in some of these systems, but I don't think that was necessarily the key driver for the regulators. I think they were more concerned around, you know, lowering the cost to consumers because if you can lower the cost of banking services, then you can encourage a broader range of uh, financial inclusion, right? So in many markets, it wasn't unusual for 30 40 50% of people to be unbanked. So it's all about making uh, financial services more accessible to those individuals. And I think more recently, it's been really about speed and saying, well, hang on, how can we use this technology to enable things to happen faster so that people can you know, send each other money, etc.? So what effect is this having on corporate payments and collections? Well, to the extent that a corporate, you know, is dealing with a lot of consumers, it can be quite profound, right? Because what it really means is that as you move to payment systems that are closer and closer to real time, one of the interesting things, first of all, is that it can replace credit cards, which are a relatively expensive instrument. And what it means is that effectively these payment types can be used in online transactions or real-time transactions. So as you see the emergence of, say, apps, you know, many uh, large corporates that sell to small uh, consumers or individuals or small businesses, 
often now enable the delivery of their service through an app. It could be an online store. It could be provision of information. It could be even trading FX or moving money. What it really means is now a lot of these services can be conducted real-time and online through these different platforms. And so it's enabling a whole new world of what I call real-time business or real-time commerce. Yeah, okay. I hadn't really thought about that. So the credit cards took that space initially, did it? That's right. Yeah. Well, if if you think about it, right, what was the dominant model in e-commerce for 20 years? It was Amazon selling online uh, and enabling people around the world to buy goods using the credit card. Now, as you move into the emerging markets where credit cards are really not that popular, because credit cards are primarily an instrument that people with money or the middle class use, right? So if you're trying to reach down to the market and capture a much broader base of consumers, you need financial instruments that they're going to be using. And if you're dealing with a market where 30 40% of the population is unbanked, that's not going to work for you. But what you had in a lot of these markets is the rise of alternative payment instruments, things like mobile money peer-to-peer payment types uh, like Alipay or uh, WeChat Pay in China. And by tapping into these alternative payment methods, you're now able to do business with those consumers. So fundamentally, the whole move towards real-time payments is a reflection of that general shift. Mobile money and peer-to-peer were really the first generation of real-time payments. Now central banks and governments have stepped in to effectively replicate that service, but through a, a central clearing system. And who are the winners and losers in this new world then, and and, and why? Well, I think the biggest winners in this new world are consumers and small businesses because it means that they now can interact and buy services from organisations in a much more efficient way. The potential winners could also be those um, service providers, whether they be traditional corporates or whether they be marketplaces that now can reach a much greater audience and interact with that audience. And I think even in banking, it's giving the rise to, you know, a world of what I call micropayments, which is rather than, you know, everything being about a large corporate selling to another large corporate, it can really be about a large corporate reaching a much bigger consumer base. And of course, selling a lot more quantity, but in smaller amounts, if you like, right? So it gives rise to the sort of concept of sort of microservices and and, and micropayments. A good example would be insurance policies. The cost of reaching people in a market and offering them a policy used to be prohibitive because of various sort of costs of, of distribution. If you can now go direct to small consumers and offer them small value insurance policies in a developing country, where the mechanism for purchasing that now is very low cost and immediate, and you can reach out to that audience directly through apps or online stores, then all of a sudden you can open up a whole new world of of services and business for those consumers that would have been previously underserviced. So for banks, it's both a, a challenge and an opportunity as well, because if you can enable you know, a much greater quantity of those sort of micro payments to support those businesses, then it's a growth opportunity. But obviously it may remove or it may mean that certain traditional ways of doing business over time fall away. So what is going to happen across the corporate landscape? Well, I guess, you know, we see remaking of business end-to-end. We see the remaking of markets end-to-end. And I think, you know, a lot of people, are, you know, predicting that within 10 to 20 years, we may see whole industries turned on their head and, and changing. And I think that's quite possible because really this is just a smaller part of just a whole wave of technological change that's flowing through uh, different business, different industries, 
And yes, it will enable businesses to remake the way that they do business with their consumers and their business clients. It will all be about creating a frictionless experience, just like it is for us, buying services online or through apps. The same thing will sweep through the business community. And I do think it will see a complete remaking of a lot of industries. But where does this leave you as a bank? Because the corporate is accessing the payment system effectively, which isn't run by you. I mean, it's a central utility. So where does this leave you? Well, look, I think it leaves us in a a not dissimilar position to where we have been traditionally in the sense that at the end of the day, you could argue, okay, well, these regulators could open up these payment systems and corporates could join them directly. But there's a cost of doing that, right? I mean, if you had to, if you're operating across 50 or 100 markets and you want to go and connect to all those clearing systems directly, that's a huge amount of work. The reason banks exist is they're an intermediary. They make it easier for you to connect to markets and systems. So today, banks provide connectivity, which effectively enables you through one link to access 100 markets. So I don't think the role of banks will change in that respect, because I think corporates will still be looking for simplification and an easier route to connecting to many markets and and many payment systems. But where I do believe it changes is what you do with those types of new instruments. I think that what will happen is that some banks will extend along the value chain. They'll value add around that payment experience and they'll offer other things. So it could start with participating in a payment gateway or setting up a payment gateway. It may then extend towards providing what we call wallets, uh, the ability to hold funds in a virtual wallet and use that. And that same wallet could then be used by the corporate to uh, provide incentives or loyalty schemes. It could extend to re-engineering or recreating or co-creating an entire new process around that whole experience, right? What we call the client journey from the time that, you know, the consumer connects through an app or connects through an online site all the way through to the provision of those final services. So banks are beginning to play in different places along that value chain. And I think that that will be the area where some banks will differentiate from others, the ability to co-create with the client, to create value-added solutions that basically help solve multiple problems along that client journey. So it won't just be about making the payment. It could also be about providing information around the transaction, for example. It could be around providing data analytics to provide sort of richer insights into into what the consumers are doing. It could be around providing even the reward schemes that would back those types of programs. It's not so different to what a bank does around credit cards today. So I, I do believe it will evolve, and I think just the the breadth and the richness of those services is what will change. And what's the best way for a corporate to start thinking about these processes? I mean, I suppose to some extent they should be thinking about them anyway as part of their business, but yeah. what else should they be doing? Well, it's, it's difficult, right, because a lot of businesses themselves are having to contend with a lot of change in their own markets. The advice I give a lot of treasurers is that you need to reach out you need to speak to some of your more innovative banks, some of the banks that are more forward thinking. You also probably should reach out and speak to some of the fintechs that are playing in the space directly to get an understanding of what's going on in the market. But also, you know, looking at, you know, what are other people in the market doing? What are your competitors doing? What are the new entrants doing? What is your own business doing? In order to connect the dots and, and sort of define where is the value for you as an organisation And more importantly, what value can Treasury bring to the business in terms of developing some of those new models? I mean, there's a huge amount of experimentation going out there. 
I don't think anybody has the answer, but the important thing is to educate yourself on the options. And then, you know, as the business uh, starts to experiment, to be ready with the different tools that can effectively enable those options. And that, to me, is the role of the treasurer and the role of the bank in educating the treasurers and educating the business on what's out there and what's possible. Well, we've talked a lot about really how real-time payment systems seem to be the base from which a lot of other things are happening. But can you just give me a quick reality check on how many real-time systems are there around the world? I think it's quite possible that within the next 10 to 15 years that most countries in the world will have a real-time payment system. There are more than 50 real-time payment systems currently in operation or under development. Pretty much the whole of Asia will be operating on a real-time basis probably within the next 12 months, 18 months. So there's already regions that have adopted this on a very broad scale. Europe, you know, Europe also has real time, but it hasn't been as successful as as Asia because the model hasn't really embraced some of the other tools that are required to make it really successful. But even the European Banking Authority is looking to review the way that uh, systems like SEPA Instant operate. So I think there'll be further change in Europe. Uh, You've had the launch of real time payments in, in the US market. The Fed has announced that it wants to introduce its own centrally operated real-time payment system. Real-time payments exist in a lot of Africa through mobile money systems already. So you've already seen the broad adoption of what amount to real-time payment systems in that region. So it is already a worldwide trend that is only accelerating. And I do believe that within you know a relatively short time frame, most of the world will have adopted real-time payment systems of one form or another. And they will come to dominate the way in which we interact uh, through commercial transactions because essentially they enable business to be conducted on a real-time basis. And to your point, they therefore form the foundation of enabling this this type of activity, whereas before you couldn't do it real-time because there weren't real-time systems that consumers and small businesses were able to access at a reasonable cost. How has everything that we've been talking about, how has it affected Standard Chartered's approach to the market? Well, we're definitely in the camp of embracing digital and wanting to innovate and wanting to customise because I think there's already a lot of, there are a lot of market pundits who are already saying that the future of banking will be really uh, claimed by those that are able to customise for their clients. So we're spending um, a lot of time and effort in that area. We've formed a new team that really focuses on basically creating these sort of bespoke digital solutions. And part of the model is not just building it internally ourselves, but saying, what should we build ourselves and what should we source from the external market? You know, we could be working with fintechs as key partners, and we already have some that we work with in areas like, for example, wallets. And it could be things that we develop through our own ventures arm. So we have a ventures arm, and that ventures arm actually does bespoke software development in its own right, but it also creates and spins off fintechs. So we may even look at a particular service and say, there really should be a fintech doing that. We don't think there's a good one in the market at the moment. Why don't we create it and spin it off? Because we don't think it really fits well within the bank, but it could be something that could sit alongside the bank in a model where you know we would have a shareholding, but other partners or other potential investors could have a shareholding as well. So I just think you'll see the world will be a lot more you know, interesting in terms of different approaches to try and bring those solutions to clients. But certainly as a bank, we think the future is, is around the ability to build solutions that are really relevant for the clients 
and in particular as their industries evolve and as their business models evolve because they're going to need a completely different set of services. Well, thanks very much. I think that's really helped us understand the impact of real-time payment systems. Victor, thank you. Thanks, Richard. I was talking to Victor Penner, Head of Cash Management for Europe and Americas and Global Head of Structured Solutions Development Cash at Standard Chartered. And he was giving us his thoughts on this important area that many corporates are beginning to take advantage of. It's by embracing the real-time payment systems that you can build a foundation to create a truly innovative and world-class treasury department that can really serve your business. I'm Richard Parkinson. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Treasury Today and Standard Chartered. We'd love to hear from you, so do get in touch either directly or via our website. And don't forget to subscribe so you can keep an eye out for new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.